Hello and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemperoper in Dresden, Germany. As usual before a vacation, this episode will be a special edition, this time about how to read the indications that composers give us. Conductor Jonathan Darlington is our guest this week, and we focus on some of the basics that always bear repeating, like tempo indications, time signatures, and what a conductor needs for an artist. I chose this topic because during this past season, a good friend of mine who was working on Musette and La Boheme came to a coaching, and we weren't together in the big ensemble just after Musette's aria, so I asked her, well, what did the composer write here? And she looked at me blankly. So I showed her the score, and pointed out the critical spot, which read, Trat l'ultimo quarto, which she'd never noticed before. This indication, which means hold back the last quarter note, was reinforced by tenuto dashes over all the sixteenth notes in that beat, but she hadn't noticed those either. And she's not the only singer that hasn't noticed that. Another of my favorite examples in Bohème, which happens pretty often, is in Mimi's first act aria. Many sopranos sing the text Sola mi fo il pranzo da me stessa very slowly, like Mimi is sad or dying already of consumption. But Puccini wrote above it Allegretto moderato with simplicity, and he included a metronome marking that's pretty fast. Most singers don't look at anything except the vocal line. We tend to only see the text and notes and not really pay attention to anything else that might be written there. As a coach, I'd say that about half of my time is devoted to making people aware of what's on the page. This all goes back to the way we started off this school year slash season with seven rules on how to learn music. So today we're going back to basics again to remind ourselves how to read a musical score and how to interpret what the composer intended from the indications he wrote. The way I prepared for our conversation was to go through one score each from Puccini, Massenet, and Strauss just writing down all the indications that I found in those pieces, so when you hear us refer to my lists, that's what we're talking about. I had planned on posting those lists at the blog, but in researching for today's episode, I found a terrific website that covers that topic better than I ever could, and it seems to have all of the terms that we talked about today. It's the Music Dictionary Online at dolmetsch.com, and it also has French and German translations of all the Italian terms we speak about. There are also available dictionaries of musical terms with all of the information listed together in English, French, German, and Italian. Since we're into summer vacation now, our next episode will be coming out on August 28th, and as usual, I'll be spending my summer working ahead so that I can keep up with the episodes better this coming fall. I'll post links to all the information for today at the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. I've had the great good fortune to work with Jonathan Darlington twice now. The first was a production of Louise with the Deutsche Oper am Rhein in Düsseldorf, and we just finished a run of street scene here in Dresden. He's currently music director for Vancouver Opera in Canada, and since his conducting debut in 1984, he's conducted all over the world. He started out as a pianist and coach, and still maintains his piano chops. In fact, during our street scene rehearsal period, he was away for a week to perform a leader recital with Christophe Prégardien. We decided just to start talking about these tempo markings from these lists that I made and see where that led us. Let's start just with the basics. I mean, down yeah. from fast to slowest. Yeah. yeah, so if we start with presto, that's the fastest. Yeah. Right? And yeah. then we get allegro. Yeah. How do we gauge 
what's super fast as opposed to what's just fast? Yeah, that's a good question because I think all these composers use it differently. You know, mm-hmm. um, you've got this nice list here: allegro agitato, allegro moderato, con brio. What's the difference between con brio and agitato? Yeah, or well, vivace, allegro vivace. A, a lot depends on the context of the um, of the if it's a dramatic piece, I guess. But also somehow when you look at it and you see an agitato, it just sort of looks different on the page to a vivace. I, I can't quite describe it, you know, the yeah. way the sixteenths are written or something. Because, you know, if you just look at those words... They don't tell you a whole lot, No, they? I mean, you see Allegro con brio, okay, well, I'm going to play it, you know, with brilliance. <laughs> I, you know, agitato, I'm going to do it more like this. And, and where you find the difference, it's all in the articulation, I guess. You know, a moderato is a little bit slower, I guess, than then, an agitato is going to be. And, but you'll and also, yeah, you'll see moderato by itself, but you'll also then see allegro moderato. Yeah. And is there a difference between the two, or do you notice a difference between the two? Well, I, I read the sort of allegro first, so it's, a, it's, it's, it's fast, but it's not as fast as, say, a, an aperto would be, or a vivo, or a, a mm-hmm. combrio, or an agitato would be, for me, yeah. anyway. And what about then sostenuto? Would that be even less? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I see allegro moderato e sostenuto. Okay. You know, you, sometimes you see that. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really sort of moderato, but really sort of, really... And what's the difference between the allegro and then you get to an allegretto, which is a step down. Exactly, so it's slightly yeah. slower than yeah. allegro. So it's sort of between the two, I guess. But a lot, I, when I look at the page, a lot of it just sort of happens automatically. You know, you look at something, you think, oh, well, this... And Allegro Agitato, yes, because there's this and this and this, and then it sort of gives you the feel anyway. Yeah, and I, I um, love that you actually immediately said there's something different about the 16th notes, which means yeah. we automatically associate yeah. something that's Agitato with 16th notes that are going to go... Yeah, I guess so. ...make yeah. us agitated. Yeah. And there's this, this wonderful Allegro Aperto, which Mozart used a lot, which is a sort of... I sort of read it as, well, Aperto is open, so, you know, you're this kind of... <laughs> go on, get on with it kind of thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what else have you got here? I would Giocroso. say... Um, Spigliato. That's, very, that's not so often used, is it? No, I found yeah. that in, in Puccini, yeah, Love Women. I don't, yeah. I don't know what it means, i got to say. Well, I guess it's, it's sort of this sort of singing allegro. I can't, I can't think any, any other way of putting it. Mm-hmm. This, so yeah. with a melody, yeah, like with the, a, this, yeah. with a strong emphasis on yeah. the melody. Yeah, I would say that. So you've got Allegretto. And a lovely allegato giocoso, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of that goes and on. And giocoso is yeah. just joking. Yeah. So make, make yeah, fun, have funny, fun with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then, so you got between Allegretto and Andante is Andantino. So Andantino is actually it's faster fa- it's fast, than Andante? Fa- faster than Andante. I mean, we have Allegretto is slower than Allegro. Why yeah. isn't a little Andante slower than Andante? Yeah, good. So I guess you've got, you know, you've got Presto, then all these different sorts of Allegros. Then you've got the Allegretto and all sorts of different sorts of Allegrettos. Then you've got Andantino and all sorts of different sorts of Andantinos. Then Andante. Okay. And then that's how I see it anyway. Yeah. So you get all these various shades within the, the sort of grouping within of the spectrum. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what have you got there? Andantino Mosso. Yeah, they do that, which is sort of I I take that as being almost allegretto. I don't know why, but I do. Um, <laughs> and Andantino Affettuoso. You get lots of that in Mozart. And then Moderato. Yeah, where would Moderato fall on the spectrum? I sort of sort of fit it in here somewhere, sort of allegretto, allegro kind of thing. Yeah, so somewhere between that yeah. and the andantes. Andantino. And they're usually a 4-4. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> moderato, assai. See, this assai, yeah. we get this also in German with, you yeah. know, the ziemlich, yeah. rather yeah. moderato. Rather moderato. They can't, the composer can't really make up his mind. <laughs> I think that's what that is. And as, yeah. we get, as we get slower and slower, then we get like a lento and a grave. Yeah. If you're approaching a grave, well, I guess the question would be then, when you when you look then at the time signature and that if it's in like a cut time, mm-hmm. then it goes to the to the two beats. I mean, it goes. Yeah. And yeah. If we're in cut time, then we'll actually be in two, yeah. and all of this affects it in that way, yeah. as opposed to it being in, if it's in yeah. four. 
Absolutely. So uh, yeah, you're absolutely right because all these things they either go in four or two or six eight or, or whatever. You know, andantinos and andantes are often in six eight. Yeah. Because they have this sort of walk. Well, andante is walking, so an andantino is walking a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. So they're often in six eight. But these, you're, you're right. When you get a, a lento in Mozart does this a lot. A lento in, with a C through, with a line through it. You know, yeah. C, C by, which that, that's a really difficult one for me to decide whether I do it in four or I do it in two. Because he obviously wants a two feel, otherwise he wouldn't have. But it's a lento, so it's, in, it's a slow one. So with an orchestra, how how do you give them the idea of it being in two? And yet, in order to get the whole thing together, sometimes you have to at least start it in four. Or something so that like they that. really understand yes, exactly yeah. the tempo that you want. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really tricky one. And Mozart does that all the time. This feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he wants it's it to two. be rounder. Yeah. He wants it to keep flowing. But it can sometimes be lento, assez long. Yeah, exactly. Large. So then we can we can actually compare all of these in yeah. different languages because we have. I mean, lento is obvious in French, long. Yeah. L e n t. Yeah. But in German, so langsam, lento would be langsam in yeah. German. Yeah. What I didn't, what I thought was really fun in German was that it's all these kinds of adverbs that describe how you want to do this, and then the words themselves. And you get langsam. Sehr langsam. Yeah, stets langsam, äußerst langsam. You get yeah. all of these different words that then go along with yeah. it. But a, um, composers, it's, they, they were, we're talking about uh, time things here, but they do it with all their dynamics and things. The further you get on in, in history, the more they try to put in dynamics. You know, if you look at a, a Mahler score or a Weber score or something like that, it's just, you know, all you see is, is markings of how they want it. Exactly. And yet, if you listen to interpretations of different people, even even if they're trying to be so specific, the difference between everything is huge. Yeah. So uh, I keep thinking, well, you know, earlier composers had it right, they just put an allegro or something and they left it up to you to get on with it, you know. Yeah. Because in any case, the more you try and define what it is, in a sense, the more room there is for more and more definitions and more and more room there is for discrepancy. Yeah. It's very, it's very interesting. Yeah. This, what else well, have we got here? Okay, well, let's, let's work our way backwards now. We had langsam, len, uh, long yeah. and lento all together. Mm -hmm. So if we're working our way backwards, uh, we would have andante would be next. So andante... Um, I don't know, what about an adagio? <gasps> we didn't talk about adagio. Yeah, because I, I think it goes, I think it goes presto, with all the various sorts, well, all these have various sorts. Presto, allegro, andantino, andante, then I'd say adagio, then lento, then <laughs> no, which is the <laughs> slowest of the slow. Yes, which we do in eight here yeah, for yeah. our street yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the way it goes. Okay. Because after the andante, yeah, comes adagio, then yeah. lento. Yeah. I think is slower than adagio. In French, we have modéré for yeah. moderato. Yeah. We have um, animé. Yeah. What would would that be? Allegro for almost allegro animé. Anime would just be animated, literally. Mm -hmm. But um, so you know, kind of all, I think that's more of a, it's an adjective describing the, the, the if we're taking these as nouns. Yeah, and I guess vit would be vivo, quick. allegro, quick, quick, the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vit agite, so that's agitato. Vit, hey. vit would be allegro, and anime I guess would be sort of something between allegretto and allegro. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to do the same thing a little bit in, in German, langsam would be lento, yeah. obviously. Mäßig, I found from Moderato. Yeah. Mäßig, yeah. right? Yeah. Beschleunigen, yeah, that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the, let's get a move on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
Bright. That's a good one too. Large. Large. Yeah. In French. Yeah. yeah. Bright. Yeah. So, and that's actually English is broadly. Yeah. We, and we have to yeah. be careful in the uh, in reverse because Germans see the word bright yeah. in American music theater and then they try to go slow, yeah, slowly. Yeah. And yeah. Americans, for yeah, Americans, yeah. bright is actually faster. Yeah. Lebhaft. Lively. I guess that would probably be allegretto then. Lebhaft. Yeah. And schnell would be allegro, right? Yeah. I mean, and then there's other words that go along, that go along sort of with with what what singers need to know like we see a lot of sostenendo stentato trattenuto these these are things that in Puccini you know people always sort of just do basically the same thing but they all have slightly different meanings and very few people actually paying attention to that you know you will get a a rallentando or rallentando and a trattenuto aren't the same things but they're usually interpreted in the same way right and the stentato as well it's the same same thing and that really, really bugs me when, you know, it just becomes this kind of... And it's a singer will, will just... They don't really take any notice of these, do they? No. None at all. No, and that's, I mean, that's yeah. really why this whole podcast, this episode yeah. came to be, because yeah. of a coaching where somebody yeah. just didn't, hadn't even looked at that. Yeah. And they'll see over a note, Tratenuto, which is very slight something or other, and there's, they sort of hang out there for three hours. Yeah. Um, just because traditionally, you know, they've heard it on some recording with somebody or other. <laughs> exactly. And they've done that. You know, and yeah. it's it's. Um, but then we get into this whole, whole um, traditional. You know, what the difference between why a tradition builds up and what originally the composer wanted. Uh, it's a real minefield. But if, if we we know that Verdi was really tough on his singers, yeah, we know that he really hated it when they took time and they did all this stuff, blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah, and he was he was really strict with them. We're not so strict these days with people when they sing Verdi, and usually people sing Verdi in the same way as they sing Puccini. Yeah. Um, if we're being brutally frank. Yeah. And to me, they're completely different. You know, the, yeah. and, and what Puccini was doing, a lot of this, I wish he hadn't written anything sometimes, sometimes because a lot of this, you know, if you see something written, like if you see a, a dot over a note, you play it short automatically. Right. Just because there's a dot there. And it's not necessarily very short. It could be shorter, actually. Yeah. It could just be detached. Uh, yeah. And especially orchestras, when they see a, a tenuto, string players, when they see a tenuto written over a note, then right <laughs> is not the word. Um, and so when people see these indications, tratenuto or ritardando, then all of a sudden it becomes this big thing. Um, whereas if you hadn't written it, then perhaps people wouldn't make such a meal of it. Yeah. And I think they, they sort of think, oh, people who, who have looked at it think, oh, to, oh, then I can take a bit more time. And then time becomes more time, and more time, more and more and more time. Yeah. It's our fault, people like, you know, us conductors, that we should be much, much more strict with the singers and have the force of character to say, listen, um, let's try and go back to what he might have thought originally. Yeah. I wanted to say something about the word fermata because I had a, a friend, as I was telling her what I was going to talk with yeah. you about, I said, and she said, well, you know, like this thing, and she made the sign for fermata in the air, and she yeah. said, the corta. Oh, yeah. Because it says yeah. corta on top yeah, yeah. of it. Or, <laughs> but sometimes it also, in case you were wondering, also says lunga, lunga. on top of it. It's <laughs> wonderful. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the French word for fermata is a point d'orgue, which I've always loved. It's a point d'orgue, so I mean, the organ, I guess, sort of sits there on a long note. (laughs) The organ point. Yeah, the organ point. It's a wonderful expression. And they, but there again, in French, they will also say cor, 
yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah. 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 So it, this thing is not is actually called a fermata. Yeah. <laughs> and it's but I don't want it corta, too long and I don't want it too short. Yeah. Exactly. So how the longa is, is actually the the adverb yeah. describing how long to do the fermata. Yeah. I like affrettando. I think affrettando, that's, that's yeah. a gorgeous way of saying getting faster. Yeah, well, and there again, but it's also different than accelerando, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Because I, to me, yeah. affrettando also has agitato in it. Mm. It's a sort of emotional kind of, I'm getting more excited kind of thing. Whereas an accelerando is put your foot on the accelerator, you know. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Just start moving. Yeah. <laughs> rubato. Oh, rubato. Okay, let's yeah. talk about rubato for a second. Because... Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people steal the time, but I don't think a lot they of people give, give it back, back yeah. right? Yeah. You know, I, I had a teacher who always used to say that, you know, well, you, you must give the time back when you've stolen it, kind of thing. Uh, there are some composers, there are some, some situations, especially in opera, where rubato doesn't actually necessarily mean you have to give the time back. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a kind of feel of going around the beats. Yeah. And. So rubato isn't just necessarily, well, I've taken time here, so I've got to go faster to you know, catch up. Right. It's not that. It's um, about not having a sort of steady yeah, pulse to yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a question of sort of bending, bending the bar lines so yeah. that people are... Uh, why, why would you write a rubato? It's because you don't want people to feel sort of imprisoned in a, in a, in a, in a, in a time structure anymore. Yeah. That you, you want them not to feel that there's any, there are any bar lines anymore. That you're going across them and you... As in everyday life, you know, we, we're not we're not metronomes, we're not mechanical. So, uh, so that's what that's all about. So I'm not sure about the, the giving the time back all the time. Right. I think sometimes, you know, if you're if you get too indulgent, then you you know you need to keep a check on it. But I think rubato often, right, for the composer is you know just um, don't let me feel that there's this kind of ah, 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 yeah, going but there's on. a steady yeah. There might pulse. be that going on underneath. But over the top, there's this rubato, which means that, that, that we're playing with um, with all sorts of layers. Yeah. Hmm. Does that make sense? It makes total yeah. sense, actually, yeah. yeah. One thing we mentioned that bears repeating, be sure to look not just at the tempo indication, but also at the time signature that corresponds to it. If you have a lento that's written in 2-2, two, two, it will probably be different from a lento in 4-4 four, four time. And the same works in faster tempos too. An allegro in 2-2 two, two will probably be faster than an allegro in 4-4. Four, four. Usually a composer uses the time signature to indicate the main beat that should be felt. This is something that conductors pay careful attention to when deciding what beat pattern they want to use. One thing to watch out for, sometimes the time signature 3-4 can be conducted in a large one, so just something to pay attention to. One thing that I try to do before playing a piece for a conductor the first time is to decide already what I think he'll conduct each section or aria in. Even if I'm wrong, I have a clear idea in my head, and then I can adjust to the situation. If I haven't thought that out beforehand, I have a harder time reacting. We also mentioned that most of us don't acknowledge a difference between the markings rallentando, trattenuto, and stentato, so I looked them all up at that website I mentioned, dolmetsch.com and it listed rallentando as slowing down, trattenere as to hold or to restrain, stentare as heavily and slightly slowing. It's a fine distinction between just slowing down, holding back, or the feeling of heaviness that comes with the word stentato, but I think it's worth paying attention to, and the composer probably decided which term to use based on the text. 
Oh, and I did do my homework and looked up spiegato in my big Italian dictionary. The definitions that I found there were self-confident and nimble. So I guess an allegro spigliato would have to be a very confident allegro, or as Jonathan said, very singing, very strong in the melody. In this portion of our discussion, we started out talking about what singers generally don't look at before they come to rehearsal. How many times have we asked singers, what does this mean, what does that mean? I have no idea. Did you know that there was a note over there? Exactly. But also, did you know what instruments are accompanying you? Do you know what key you're singing in? Do you know what, uh, why that he's chosen this key? Because, you know, there's that blah, 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 blah. Exactly. They don't know any of this stuff. Right. And they don't look at it. Right. And they come in with a, a vocal score, which usually has thousands of mistakes in, depending on which edition you've got, and doesn't bear much relationship to the orchestra at all. Mm -hmm. So they don't know if they're being doubled by the whole string section or something. Yeah. They haven't, haven't got a clue. Yeah. And they haven't bothered to try and find out. They haven't bothered to buy the full score. Or even, in some cases, really listen to what's going on in the orchestra. They might have listened to their recordings, which is why they take so much time on certain things or whatever else. Right. <laughs> um, but they haven't actually bothered to listen to what's really going on, and what the engine is yeah. doing. Yeah. And I think that's something that, I think if there's a big lacune, how do you say that in English? A big lacune? thing that's missing. It's a big failure. Something that's yeah, lacking. Yeah. I think that's a huge thing that's lacking in the singer's um, preparation. preparation and their, their ed musical education. Yeah. And we go on so much about the voice and doing this and how you can get this, and that, but actually really that's not what's most important. Right. What's important is what is going on there and how you, you know, why. Yeah, I that's mean, that, that takes us somewhere and that, that yeah. basically that we're also true to what, what was originally intended. Yeah. And that's yeah. A, lot of, a lot of people forget to actually go back to that yeah. and look at the notes on the page again. Yeah. Yeah. Qual canto? What what does that mean to a conductor when you see a qual canto in the organ? It means help. <laughs> <laughs> it means oh no, oh dear. Because you know if you're in a rehearsal and somebody's just all of a sudden they it's like giving him a license to kind of if you're a teenager to go and get drunk or something, you know, that's what, <laughs> isn't it? It, it, it? Yeah, it really kind of is. It, it's like whatever the singer wants to do, yeah. just sit there tight and wait. Yeah, yeah. Whether it's in taste or that, so no, um, no, I don't enjoy concanto passages no. at all, at all, at all, because then it's all oh, right. What do I do now? Well, but, what do you prefer for a singer when they get when they get to a concanto? What do you need as a conductor then? Oh, it's quite, quite simple actually. I need something that bear, you know is logical, musically logical. Mm -hmm. I think that's all that that one needs. Yeah, so that it still has a rhythm that you can follow somehow. Yeah, that you 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 realize why they're doing this, what the and where it's going. Mm -hmm. I think it's very simple, but most of the time you don't get that. Right. Because I think there's not enough understanding of what's gone before and what's coming after. Yeah, simple. the architecture. Because of the piece. architecture of the piece, yeah. why it's there, which comes back to this point. You know, they don't know what key it's in. They don't know why. A certain instrument is playing with them. They don't know this, that, and the other. Yeah. Um, and it, it's all sort of gesamt you know. Yeah. Comes well, it's, it's kind of the, what I like to call the blah blah blah. Then I sing mentality. Yeah. 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 That's what it is. <laughs> and, I mean, we all yeah. we all kind of have that in in some ways because really it is more important for us to yeah. know exactly what we have to do. But if you know that it's a reaction to something else, yeah, it's actually almost easier to 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 yeah. come in and to sing yeah. what you need to sing. Yeah. And if if a singer is doing something musically logical, which is stylistically right of course as well then there's no problem yeah so um yeah, it's very easy yeah very easy <laughs> it could, could be <laughs> well and actually we after our little conversation earlier i also had worked one time with a, 
a voice teacher who said to me, who said I didn't like the tempo that I was taking a piece yeah. at, and she said, but it's Allegro, and she pointed to her metronome, and her metronome actually listed where Presto, yeah, they do that, Allegro, yeah. Vivace, yeah. Where, where all of these yeah. things are, and I thought, really? Yeah. You're going to tell me that the number actually matters more than the actual yeah. feeling of the yeah. piece? What's your feeling on yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. So, but, you know, if you take Beethoven's metronome markings, or Berlioz, and all, uh, two extreme examples, because they, well, Beethoven's metronome I don't know if it, you know, there are all sorts of theses about what it was and how it functioned and all the rest of it. But uh, sometimes there's, I, I remember listening to a recording that Roger Norrington did of the Beethoven symphonies, and he tried to adhere absolutely to the, the metronome markings. And some of the things are really extraordinary because some of them are so fast, like the Eighth Symphony, the finale of the Eighth Symphony or something. But you feel there is a sense behind it. Now, whether it has to be exactly, you know, crotchet equals 180 or something, mm -hmm. uh, that's a different. But, that gives you an idea as to what the composer probably felt he, he you know he wanted it to drive at a certain so, yeah, speed the energy yeah. of it uh, you know if you're a few ticks under or over or whatever i think that's not important but it does give you it gives you an indication and then of course if there's you know a presto and allegro standing next to it then you you think okay you really did want it very fast yeah but i never i never really think oh he's written 120 i got to do it exactly 120 right and you know there's that wonderful story of um, debussy I can't remember what piece it was doing. It was at the, the rehearsals for his, his piece. I think it was Jeu, actually, with mm -hmm. Montreux. But, um, uh, and he was at rehearsals, and then the following day they came back and played exactly the same passage, exactly the same speed that Debussy had said the day before. And he said, yeah, but that was yesterday. And I only really meant it for one measure. You know, so, <laughs> so that gives you an idea as to sometimes, you know, there are some composers who they put something down and think, well, you know, t today I feel like that. Exactly. And that's not taking into account the acoustic of the auditorium and all sorts of other things. Yeah. So metronome marks, while they're, I think they're, they're interesting and probably important because they give us a sort of idea as to what the composer wanted. Mm -hmm. I always take them with a pinch of salt. And lots of times, you know, you get editions where there's a metronome mark up there and you don't really know if it's the composer who's put it up there or if the editor's put it there or it's exactly. just a sort of tradition that's built up and so it's sort of slipped in there somehow. Yeah. And there are lots and lots of pieces like that mm -hmm. um, where you're not really sure if it's the composer that's put it there or not. Yeah, and then that's why we all go... I mean, that's yeah. why people tend to go back to the original handwritten score. Yeah. And even sometimes there you can't... It's not that you can't trust it, it's that people make mistakes, yeah. you know, it may not be what they intended to write yeah. in the first place, yeah. and maybe somebody didn't fix it. Yeah. How do you know? Yeah. But if you, if you listen to, you know, Stravinsky's recordings of his own pieces, how many times did he record The Writer's Spring? I can't remember, but several. And each one of them, it bears absolutely no relationship to what he, or very rarely, to what the actual metronome marks are written in his score. Really? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they'll be approximate. Mm -hmm. but. It's rare to get it actually on the button, and all of them anyway, yeah. on, on the button. So yeah. uh, you think, oh, was, that, was that just because he didn't have an orchestra that he could do it with, or he wasn't a good enough conductor to be able to do it, or what? But all of them are so radically different yeah. that um, I think, okay, fine, I'll just, if I see Allegro, I'll, think, I'll look at the score and think, well, this Allegro feels like this to me. And yeah. then you look at the metronome mark and think, well, I'm sort of roughly in the right area, so <laughs> okay, fine, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, we? well, and also, I guess, too, it depends on the singer, singing yeah. the aria. If it says allegro, it's going to be different Absolutely. in different voices. Yeah. 
and and the acoustic of the of the the auditorium yeah that plays a bit you know you can't if you're in a big church or something you can't take things incredibly fast because otherwise nobody hears anything it's a big sound so there's all that stuff that goes on yeah so it's it's um it's a bit of a minefield and then when the composer's written metronome mark and then tries to clarify it with words like allegro, allegro you know moderato assai sostenuto but mark on brio or something yeah. <laughs> and you get all that you exactly know. and you know like which one of these well, is actually the important yeah, word yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, did you have those those um, teachers who would you know like you were just saying they would say well yes it's an allegro um, sostenuto or something and then like, yes but it's an allegro and then they would say yes but allegro but sostenuto and the sostenuto is more important than the allegro in this pattern you know it's, it's so it goes on yeah it, it does it's, yeah it's I mean it's a never ending conundrum yeah. in that sense and I think everybody yeah. has to sort of work work yeah. through it and find the truth but mm. know what the words meant in the first place yeah each person is going to, depending on their education, depending on their this, that and the other, are going to read an allegro agitato in a different way. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's fascinating. Yeah. But it's, it's not just uh, an etymological thing, whatever the word is, um, but it's also a cultural thing. Well, and it's, I think it's also an experiential thing, because I know the first time I ever played any of the Copeland songs, yeah. Copeland writes all of his tempo indications in English. Yeah. Which obviously yeah. is my native language. Yeah. And I didn't understand some of them, or I yeah. wasn't—I wasn't really able to to physically interpret them yeah, yeah. the way I can yeah. twenty years later. Because now suddenly I, I yeah. understand them better in English. But yeah. at the time when you start playing piano, everything's in Italian. Yeah. So I—I yeah. I had never run into yeah. this being in yeah. English, and I'm sitting there thinking, yeah. calm. What's that for an indication? Yeah. <laughs> and then you think, okay, tranquillo. Okay, tranquillo. I got that. I understand, yeah. I understand tranquillo better than I understand calm. Yeah. What's funny is that some composers, if they're Germans or something, they, they write some of their instructions in Italian. And which, some which in German. Be, yeah, but, that, some in German. but some in German. <laughs> which seems to me really weird. Yeah. Yeah. You know, why would you, if you're German, I, I suppose Conforco or something has more life to it than, than Midfoyer. I don't know. Well, maybe it but, just comes back to, I mean, what I, what I said, that yeah. you, you sort of grow up doing these all in Italian on the piano because yeah, yeah. the piano pieces tend to be we start with, you know, yeah. the Mozarts, and they're all written in Italian. Yeah. And maybe that's just a carryover yeah. that people want to flip back and forth because we get yeah. it better. Yeah. I think one of the biggest ones that got me in German was Poco a Poco Accelerando, which in German is yeah. the most confusing sentence ever. Uh, yeah. Nach und nach beschleunigend. Beschleunigend. Yeah. Yeah. beschleunigend? Yeah. Whoever yeah. learns yeah. that word. <laughs> 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 if, you can, if you can avoid it, you know. It's like, <laughs> Like me having my car abgeschleppt. Oh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a word you don't want to forget. No. <laughs> Architecture. It's a term that we use in music as well as in buildings, but it's easy to lose sight of it in a long piece of music. All those forms that we studied in college, like sonata, rondo, etc., all have to do with structure, and recognizing these forms can really make a piece of music come to life in a different way. Grammatical structures like antecedent consequence also occur in music. And if you've had Schenker analysis in college, you've seen how simple it is to boil down almost anything to one scale, even a four-hour piece of music. Architecture is something that conductors have to study in order for the piece to make sense to the listener. But if we performers also understand the structure and how we fit into it, it brings the level up that much further. So the next time you open a score, try not to look just at your lines. Look at the whole scene or the whole aria from a structural point of view. What key is it in? Does it modulate? Does it end in that key? Is it major or minor? 
Is it an ABA form or sonata form or a rondo? What instruments are playing with you? And do they actually have the melody or do you? Build that into learning the notes and it'll help the memorization with a structure that'll be unshakable in performance. I really wanted to make that statement about metronomes because I was surprised that someone would believe the words on a metronome above their own musicality. And I was even more surprised that when I downloaded a free metronome app with my fabulous new smartphone, it too has the tempo indications marked according to the numbers. These markings are not absolutely the way to be sure that you're hitting an allegro or lento. As we said before, there are so many factors that go into it, from time signature to the acoustic of the hall to the size of the voice. So take the words on a metronome with a grain of salt. And remember I told you the anecdote at the beginning about Mimi's aria. And then let's add into it what Jonathan said about taking the actual numbers that the composer wrote also with a grain of salt. He's totally right, and so am I. My point at the beginning was not that I wish that all sopranos would sing that section of Mimi's aria at quarter note equals 144. My point was, it shouldn't feel slow. Everything the composer wrote points against it feeling slow, but most people remember some recording that they liked and just try to sing it like that without looking at what's on the page. As I love to say, do your own homework and then decide what you want to do. Make it your performance. If you take all the clues into account and have a specific reason for not following one or two of the composer's indications, then it's a conscious choice and the conductor and director will try to respect it. If it's just an unintentional habit that became ingrained, it won't be quite so useful to your performance. And that's all for today. To find out more about Jonathan Darlington, or if you have any questions or comments for me, Ellen Rissinger, please visit the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and give it a high rating so that others can find it and benefit from it. Thanks for listening. See you at the end of August.